This morning I want to talk to you about things that happen in life and and I want to share some scripture with you because we've all been there and, and we've all responded in different ways. But um, I talked about emotions here a few weeks ago and, and just a variety of things. But I want to talk to you this morning about discouragement. What do I do and how do I respond when discouragement hits? We're going to go to the book of John in chapter 21. And uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll get to it in just a couple of minutes. But I begin to think about what discouragement does in the lives of, of people. And it isn't just often we think of discouragement as something that bad happens to your family or something comes against you. But let me talk to you about this for a minute. The greatest discouragements that we usually deal with is our own failures. When we fall short, when we don't perform, when we don't become what we are supposed to be, and we allow things, allow things in our lives that hinder us from being what we should, and then all of a sudden we're dealing with, with discouragement because look at me, I failed again, or, or I've fallen on my face, and and along these lines tonight, I'm going to be speaking on the difference between iniquities and sin. And I really encourage you to come. You may not normally come on Sunday nights, but I really encourage you to come tonight. This is something that I really feel is heavy on my heart in the life of a believer. I was talking to a teenager this week after church, and after church Wednesday night, he came up and he was talking to me, and, and uh, eh, I won't go into all the details, but he said, man, I, I wouldn't want to do anything wrong when Jesus returns, when the rapture takes place. Because if I, if I do anything wrong when Jesus comes back, I'm automatically going to hell. And I said, so wait a minute. We all have shortcomings, and that doesn't justify sin. But God is a God who, who understands that sometimes we, we fall short. We just do. And sometimes we don't perform the way we should. And so this morning, you may be here, and you have had a bad week. You've had a bad month. You've had a bad day. And you've done anything but portray Christ the way you should. With your attitude, the way you think, whatever's going on. And so you're sitting here feeling like a big hypocrite. And you are disappointed in yourself because of, of the performance of the past week. And should you? Possibly so. Is there anything wrong with having remorse? No, it needs to be there. It can't go so far that it devastates you. But tonight we're going to dwell upon iniquity and sin. And this morning I want to talk to you about little sin, just how we become discouraged. And discouragement is something that every one of us deal with in a variety of ways. So what do I do when discouragement hits? Where do I go? What happens to my thinking? What happens to my behavior? Is my countenance different? The way I conduct myself, my language, the communication I have, my expectations of everybody else goes down with my own expectations because I've become discouraged. I want you to go to the book of John, chapter 21, and verse 2, and it says this. And there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee and the two sons of Zebedee and the two other of his disciples. Now I'm going to stop here because I want you to think about what's going on. We have a, we have a, a group of men that's pretty regular on Thursday nights when we play ball. And, and after the first game, some of us are huffing, puffing a little more. And, and some of us, it's not a big deal the first game. But by the time, let me just say this. We played four games last, not just past Thursday, but the Thursday before and we started off going to 10. But after we went to 10, a couple games, the last game we played, we said, you know what, let's cut it back a little bit. So we went to three. All right, we went to three. You can figure out why we went to three instead of 10. But we became tired. And, and when you get a group of guys sitting, they're all over there on the seats in the cafe, and we're all looking at each other, and we're all trying to be manly. You feel all right? Yeah, I feel good, man. I'm all right. To get a little breather, get a drink. I'm ready to go play again. It's a man thing. How many of you guys understand that? You know, we're not going to be outdone, so we're going to be man up. And so we, we played in the last game of three. And, and, uh, but when you get in a group, 
you get in a group, it begins to have other dynamics in our life. And if you get in a group of the discouragement, it sets in on every one of you. God has called us to not be the ones that get caught up in the discouragement, but the ones that begin to lift up out of the discouragement. Because often the things that happen, we get in a group, and that's what's going on here. Jesus was crucified. He died. They saw him die. They saw him on the cross, and they were all running away, and they knew where the garden was. They knew, they knew where he was buried. And so they're all sitting around talking, and all these things are going on in their life, and all of a sudden in verse 3 it says this, Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. I don't know about you, but it just strikes me funny when he says, I go a fishing. That reminds me of a three-year-old, or London. London likes to talk like this. You know, a two-year-old, she talks like Rocky Balboa when she talks with her lips. And I don't know why. I guess my wife, I don't know. Anyway, but so here's the deal. We have this, this scenario with Peter. He goes, I go a fishing. And look what happens when he said that. And they say unto him, we also go with you. And they went forth and they entered to the ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Isn't it amazing? Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. Now, we've got one guy that fishes a lot. His name is Jason Sandage. He fishes a whole lot. That's what he does in his business. And so whenever he says, at least you'd ever hear him say, well, I'm going fishing. Do you ever hear that? You hear it all the time. It's part of his life. But Peter said this because he was frustrated. He didn't understand the disappointment of, of where he was. He didn't understand. And he said, I'm going to go do something different. And the key to this was this. What did Peter do before he became a follower of Christ? He was a fisherman. And what is it about us? Anytime we get discouraged, when you've all heard me teach about this over the years, the things we get discouraged about, we leave and we go back to what we used to do. Whatever it was, that's where we go back because we're experienced. We've done it before. It covers things up, whatever it is. If you've ever had any type of addiction in your life, one of the greatest battles you have is when you get discouraged or you get upset or you get emotionally mad. You want to run back to something that blanks it all out and you don't remember. My wife and I drove down alone yesterday to, uh, to Charlotte, not North Carolina, but Charlotte, Arkansas. And we went down there and, and we saw Tyson. As soon as we got there, we pulled up. He's right in front of us standing outside. He's at John 3, 16. He was getting ready to serve a fish dinner. And, and he was out there and, and he didn't know we were coming and we show up and he comes over to us and I'll show you some pictures in the last point of this message. They came up and began to talk and the, and the staff member that he works under, his name is Todd, and, and Todd came over and he wanted, and Tyson wanted to introduce us so we met Todd and that's Tyson's boss in the body shop. And Todd began to speak things about Tyson that I know was always potentially there, but I have never seen. And the discouragement of the things I didn't see for a lot of years were things that overwhelmed me about my son. But the potential I always knew were there was exceptional. I knew it was there. And Todd began to speak. He says, you know, we have a lot of guys here in the program. And a lot of them go through and they do okay and they do, you know, they do what's required. He said, but that's not Tyson. He said, Tyson is one of those rare guys that goes above and beyond what anybody else does. He's the guy that shows up. He's the guy that works more than anybody else. I'm going... Tyson didn't know what to say. He was standing there with his mouth open looking at us. He said, he is the rarity. He's one of those guys that comes in here, and not as a difference made in his life. He's making a difference in other guys' lives. But let me backtrack. Three weeks ago, we were down there, and, and Tyson got discouraged. Some things happened. that It wasn't anything bad. But I've seen, for the first time in the past nine, ten months, 
I've seen Tyson begin to reflect and think like he did when he lived in his camper. Discouragement set in. This wasn't planned. This is just kind of happening here. He got discouraged because some things happened. His best buddy graduated, just some different things. And you know, it doesn't take a lot sometimes to trigger us to re- go and regress him. And it was something small. And I began to listen to him talk when we were at the uh, Arkansas State in the, in the gymnasium there, whatever it's called. And I listened to him, and I let him talk a minute, and I just walked away. And I began to say, Lord, I began to pray over Tyson. That old familiar spirit, that old familiar reason, that old familiar way of thinking that he's the victim and look what's happened to me and how bad it is. That's so easy for those things to creep back in and that's exactly where Peter was. Peter and the disciples thought they were victims. Nothing went the way they thought and they were discouraged. And then they go out to go fishing to get stuff off their mind and how many fish they catch? None. Isn't it amazing when we go to fix ourselves, it always ends up with nothing? It always gets worse and never improves because we cannot... Fix ourselves, ourselves. We can bring disciplines and changes and send some things in order, and that's important. But there's a point in a place in our life that we have to understand there are some things, and you've heard me say this a hundred times, that only God can change about us. That sin nature has become so deep, and I'm not browbeating you, I want to encourage you this morning. Be careful with what you get discouraged over and what you think you can fix. If you don't keep Christ in the midst of the discouragement, you will go fishing. And you will go fishing for things that you used to be familiar with. And you will go fishing for places that you used to be familiar with. And you may not want to, but it just seems to happen. And you may think, well, uh, one, of the, one of the greatest challenges of life is returning, not to do is to go back to our past. And you may say, well, things are different. Things are not the same. I want to stop here because I get so tired of people making excuses for how they live because things are different. Friend, things will always be different. It will never stay the same. It cannot. We are living in a progressive world, and so we can't stay the same. I remember back, I was 25 years old, had one child. Tyson was a baby. My wife and I were in Peoria, Illinois. Anybody here from Illinois? Bummer. All right. Anyway, we lived, <laughs> don't get mad at me. You're a lot bigger than me. Don't get mad at me. <clears throat> We're going to do the uh, membership in a little bit. But I remember us living in, in Peoria, Illinois. At a, we were pastoring a deaf church. And, man, I got the phone call from a cousin of mine. And I remember the panic and, and the things that I went through when they told me my father had been murdered. And, and I was just, I left the phone laying there. I don't even remember. I left the phone laying there vaguely. And I went to the bedroom. I grabbed a suitcase. I said, one, we've got to pack clothes. My dad has been killed, and, and so my wife says, well, slow down, Dwight, and I couldn't slow down. Kind of like this morning, I get jittery, something, okay, I drank 16-ounce Mountain Dew, and I shouldn't have, but I understand now. I won't drink one tonight. And so, but I was all nervous, red because I was just told my father was killed. I got a suitcase out. I don't even know what I was throwing in it, dude. It was a freak-out moment. My wife went and got the phone and talked to my cousin and got the details, and we packed up and loaded Tyson up, and we drove home, 11 hours. And I remember my wife trying so hard to, to console me, saying, well, may, maybe he survived. Maybe that was just a, pre, you know, a, a premature you know, thing you know, telling you. I said, well, we'll see. And I didn't say much and got home. Of course, my father was gone. And, and uh, but let me tell you, nothing was ever the same. And I had a choice to make. 
I can sit there in the midst of something never being the same, and I can get caught up in it and lose everything that I am and everything that I was and everything my father had taught me. Or I can look at this and say, it doesn't matter if everything will never be the same again. And friend, it hasn't. Nothing has been the same in our family. It just hasn't. But you don't let go whenever discouragement sets in. If anything, we have to understand there's a great principle here that, that, that Peter went running a different way and, and he got discouraged and he didn't understand it. And he said, well, I'm just, I'm just going to get discouraged and re- return to how I used to be. Why? To show others, I don't care, man. We always have excuses or I'll get back at them and I'll respond this way. We're, we become so desperate and discouraged, man, because of the frustration. And what's sad about this is that somebody's going to follow you. When you get discouraged and you allow something to happen in your life, it's a negative way. Somebody's watching and somebody's going to follow you. And the end result of that following is never good. Because everybody gets caught up in the same amount of that issue. My mother could have tanked on her faith, but she didn't. My brother could have given up, but he didn't. I could have given up, but I didn't. There's always a reason that while we stay committed, even in the times of discouragement, Everyone followed. More critical on how we respond is is our poor influence. No one stood up. Everybody got up and went fishing. We're going to be quick. As they went fishing and they didn't catch anything, the thing that happened next was kind of unique about how much Jesus loves. But when the morning was come now, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew it not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. And stopped there for a minute. I don't know about you, but if you want to catch the big fish, you, you fish for crappie out on the edges of the bank, Jason, you go off what? You go off the shore, and he looks for places that, howl, that hold them. And they've got reefs and barriers and trees and things they've planted there to draw fish. And they go there and they catch the fish, fish off of them. The fishermen were no different. They didn't, have, they didn't have a rod and reel they were catching with. They were casting nets. And Jesus, hey guys, maybe from here to the back. I know I read a little bit about it. It's about 100 yards away they were from the shore. Jesus said, hey, have you got any meat? Have you caught any fish? And they said, nope, nothing. Listen to the next statement. Even in the midst of being out all night with all your buddies, and they were all discouraged, all frustrated, life was not what they anticipated. If you go back to Luke 4, there was another situation earlier in the ministry when Jesus said, cast your nets out and launch out into the deep, Peter. And he says, Lord, we have toiled all night. We've got our nets all cleaned. We've done all these things. He said, just go out in the deep, into the deep. Do you hear that? Go out into the deep. And this time they went on the deep and they cast their nets and they caught 153 fish and had to have other boats come and help them get in. Here, now they're in the shallows. And verse 5, and Jesus said unto them, do you have any meat? Verse 6, and they said unto him, and he said unto them, cast it on the right side of the ship, and you will find. And they cast thereof, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fish. Something clicked. Let me tell you where you are this morning. This is your moment where something clicks. This is your moment when you realize where you are, something has got to change. My discouragement and my excuses and whatever else went on, it ends here. Because this morning, the Lord knew where you've been this week, where you've been the past month. He knows where your heart and your mind has went. And he said, it's time to wake up. I've got provision if you will listen. If you'll not do it your way, I'll bring, does this make any sense? I will bring your provision. And he says, cast it, and all of a sudden, poof, they have all these fish. But look at the next verse. Verse 7, 
Therefore, that disciple who Jesus loved, and his name was John, he always talked in the third person, and he said unto Peter, it is the Lord. That was it. That's all it took. That's all it took. It's right here. There's a spot. I'll try to stay on this side. There was something, something happened. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, instantly, grab me some britches, man. I'm going in the water. Now, I don't know if he could swim faster than the boat, but evidently the boat wasn't moving fast enough. He put enough raiment on to cover himself, and he bailed off, and he went into the water. Why did he bail off in the water? What changed? Because they were recognized. They were never abandoned. They were never forgotten. They were never forsaken. And even you, in the midst of the most discouraging things you face in life, he will never abandon you. He will never leave you. He will never leave you unattended if you'll give an ear and you'll pay attention and you will seek him and you will be consistent with the boundaries you have. He will make provision for you to understand. Genesis 3. Let me just go back and finish this first. Instead of laying in discouragement and disappointment, he jumped out of the boat and he reinvested himself back in Christ. He came back and he restored. Verse 9 says this. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereupon. Let me tell you what that means. And when I was studying this and I was reading this, I thought, Lord, why would, why would you have fish prepared on the shore for these guys out there fishing? And the Lord said this, because I've always got more than you can expect if you'll just trust me. I always have more. If you would just trust me, there's more than just catching the fish. I not only catch it at times and make provisions at times in your life, but if you'll quit living in discouragement, I'll open up other opportunities. But as long as you invite it and you allow it and dominate you, friend, you will always be miserable and unhappy and seeking things that seem to avoid you. Discouragement comes in a thousand ways, but we have to recognize it. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 11, can you all put that on the board, y'all doing that? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 11. We have a scenario here with Adam and Eve, and, and in this scenario we have, um, there was a failure. Adam and Eve had taken to the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and, and, and verse 3, 11 says this, and he said, who told you that you were naked? I've heard lots, I've preached this, I think. I've heard other preachers preach, who told you you were naked? And I begin to think about in this passage, who told you that you will always be the way you are? Who told you, and why is it that we can believe things from other people that are derogatory instead of embracing when Jesus says, I have come that you may have peace. I have come that you may have life. I have come that you will have direction if you will allow me to work in your life. That's it. But for some reason, who told us that you were naked? Who told you that you were too stupid? Who told you that you were doomed for failure? Isn't it amazing that in our natural sin instincts, we migrate to the negative side and rarely migrate to the positive. And many times we don't migrate to the positive because we're afraid of failure on the positive side. And it's easier to be like everybody else and just live here. I'm going to tell you, go back to my Tyson story. We were there a few weeks ago. Man, my heart was heavy. Because I sensed something in him I hadn't sensed in a long time. Even when he was in jail in Butler County, I never sensed this. And boy, it began to grieve me. And I said, Father. So I just walked away. He'd come back later. My wife and Alana talked to him quite a bit. And really, he just needed to vent, really. He sounded like his mom. If he can vent it out sometimes, he's better than me. I just hold it in. 
But he was good and thanked me from the time we left. There wasn't any conflict, but yesterday we get down there and there was something completely different about Tyson. Not that he hasn't been great because he has. But he said, oh man, I was so discouraged three weeks ago when y'all came down to the, the event at Jonesboro. And he said that next week the guy that had been doing things to get in my head and bug me and upset me, he got put with me work and I had to work under him. And I thought, oh Lord, I ain't going to make it. I'm going to hit him. I'm going to hurt somebody. Something's going to happen. And Tyson's had a temper before, unfortunately, but he has. And this guy's a staff, and he began to push Tyson, doing things to aggravate him. Finally, Tyson kind of lost it. And after he lost it and told the guy what he thought, whatever, and I don't think there was any expletives or those bad words he just told him, the guy came to him and says, man, I'm so glad you finally broke because this is the thing you've needed to deal with. Learning to deal with this type of conflict is how you've always went south in your past. Tyson just looked at him. He said, because I was the same way. Anytime something upset me, anytime it didn't go the way I wanted, I went back to my past and went back to drugs. And Tyson said, oh, my goodness. What a life-changing experience. Although I was ready to quit and give up a few weeks ago. Now I understand now. And last night he said, Dad, every encounter and every experience I have now, I'm saying, okay, Lord, what's my teaching in this? What's my lesson in this? You would have to know Tyson to say, that's not Tyson. Used to, Tyson would say things and go do something else to get out of the situation. And now he's saying, it's okay. I'm in the middle of this. And he said, I'm so glad I've got five more months because i got so much more growing to do. I was pumped up, excited. Why? Because he didn't live in the discouragement. And friend, you're here this morning because I know some of you are. I'd like you to put the pictures up if you would, Misty. I'm going to show you three guys that's come out of our church. Um, last summer, there was a young man by the name of Seth Walters. And um, Seth, man, you cannot help but love Seth. Uh, this is Joe, Joe Ryan here. Just you can scroll through him if you will. That's Joe. Joe went down there about three weeks ago. Look at that guy. Ha! Give me some food, baby. Uh, that's Tyson. And uh, <laughs> that's Seth. Last summer when Greg Hubbard was here preaching a revival, Seth came. And man, he just broke in the presence of the Lord and, and surrendered. But Seth had some things coming up that he had fallen short in. So eventually he has a warrant out. He gets arrested and he goes down to John 3. He's been there. He stayed for a couple extra months by choice. But let me tell you what happens with these three guys. They all three could have lived in their discouragement or they could do something about it. Every one of us have a choice to make. I don't care who you are and I don't care what your discouragement is. You have a choice to make. You can live in your discouragement and let it consume you and you will be just overwhelmed and things will never change. You can say, you know what? I'm not going to live in this and I'm going to close with this. In 2 Kings... <clears throat> I love things about the most unlikely. And I'm just going to kind of paraphrase this. <clears throat> in 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 3 through 8, there was these four guys, and they were lepers. And let me just tell you what they were. They were the most unclean people. They were the most unlikely. They were the most hopeless. They were the most avoided. I want, I want everybody to look at me for a minute. Have you ever been that person other people avoided? You were the one, they see you, they just go around because they knew you, they knew what you'd done, they knew how you lived. And they, these guys were the most avoided. Nobody liked them. They were the most gross to look at. They had body parts falling off. Everything about them was, and here's a term I used several, a few years ago, I spoke a message on loving the invisible. And the invisible is a person that nobody else seems to see. They just kind of exist. 
they're the one that's kind of the loner, or they're the one that's never good enough, or never pretty enough, or never cool enough, or never rich enough, or whatever it is. They're kind of the loner. Well, there's these four guys. And if you'll read Second Kings, actually, chapter 7, verse 3 through 8, you'll see that they were sitting there about to die, and God said, and something spoke up, and one of them goes, guys, we can sit here and die, or we can get up and do something. And so they said, we'll go to the Syrian army. Who knows? We're going to die anyway. If they kill us, they kill us. But they got food. There was a famine in the land. So they got up and started walking. And when they got there, everything was vacant. All the gold, all the tents were empty. Everything they had was left there. The food, every, every resource that these other countries had was left. Oh, these guys went crazy. They were pumped up. They were eating bananas and bread and grapes and everything. And they were stuffing their pockets with gold and silver and went out and dug a hole. Hid some of it. I don't know what they were going to do. They were going to die. But whatever, I guess it was an inheritance. I don't know. But they were doing all these things and it hit them. <clears throat> we're not doing right. But let me go back. Why did the other people leave? I can tell you why they ran. Scripture says, while they, it doesn't say it exactly, but you can read between the lines. As they moved out in faith from where they were going to the battle, to the other army, the enemy began, you both read both of them, it both says they heard it at twilight. The lepers left at twilight, and the enemy heard chariots and horses charging at twilight. God allowed these guys' steps in their presence because they were anointed of God, and they were the most unlovable, the most unlikable, the most unapproachable, and they were the ones that made the difference. <clears throat> A lot of us in this room today are the most unlikely, the most unlikely. But we've embraced something that's bigger than us. And I'm not going to live in discouragement. And I'm not going to live in the past. I'm not going to live with anything that can take away from what God has got in store for me. I may be a leper in some people's eyes, but God still has a purpose. Friend, you got a choice to make. You can keep living the way you have, and it's never going to change. Matter of fact, you keep living in misery. You may patch it, but you're still miserable. Or you can come to a place and say, man, I'm, I'm letting go. I'm going to go free. I'm going free. And that's all we sang a while ago. I'm going free. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Throw my shackles in the sea. That's what coming to church is about. This is about learning how to get closer and, and more stable in our walk with God and allow Him to be the most center point of our relationship with Him. We're going to pray. <clears throat> in a few minutes, I'm going to call some names up of those that are here that came to our new membership meeting and ask them to come up and stand and and uh, we're going to pray over them and bring them into membership here at the assembly. But I want to say this to everyone here. If you're tired of living in the, in the shambles of discouragement, just because everybody else does doesn't mean that you have to. Just because your mom has failed or your dad has failed doesn't mean that you have to. Just because all your friends are still the way they've always been doesn't mean that you have to. God's got more friends for you. And yet, you might be a little invisible. Yep, you might be one of those lepers. But you're also the one that makes the change when God begins to anoint your life because you've learned to listen and be faithful.